Kimberly Rice, and you are tuned into the Secret Sauce Marketing Tasting Show, the groundbreaking podcast for business bosses, professional women, and anyone who is hungry to learn how to create the career, business, and life of their dreams by charting their own course. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining the Secret Sauce Marketing Tastings um, podcast for another issue. I could not be more excited to introduce our guest today, Miss Alexis Gladstone of Intel Lead. Um, she is a coach and a trainer to helping women um, develop better skill sets and a better experience in the workplace. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. Um, in the next few minutes, but I wanted to welcome you, Alexis, um, to our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly. I really appreciate you asking me to be on. Mm. Um, so why don't you share with our listeners uh, a bit about yourself, your professional passion, and a few insights into your professional journey. Oh, gosh, it's always it's always where do I start when I'm talking about this? I have been I have had my own consulting practice, as I like to call it for 15 years now. And when I looked at the calendar and realized that this year, I was like, wow, that's pretty that's pretty much a record. I started my career in corporate America as a lot of us have, those have gone on the entrepreneurial path. A lot of people don't know that I was, I was actually in STEM before mm. it was called STEM. Mm -hmm. I was a computer programmer for what I would call a hot minute mm -hmm. because what I realized very quickly is I did not like it. Mm. I didn't like being behind a desk. I didn't like staring at a computer screen. So fast forward, I got had the opportunity to get into different types of training within my organizations and change management and eventually led me to my passion, which is leadership development, which a lot of people say, well, what is that? And I describe that as helping either organizations or individuals become better leaders so that they can get better results both individually and for the organizations they work for or they own. Right, right. And we hear so much about leadership development today in our contemporary times. We've, we've never not needed it, right? Oh, exactly. It's just a lot of times it, it kind of goes in and out of vogue. And it also, you know, I've been in business long enough to see the cycles of, you know, good business times and not so great where they tighten up the spending. And a lot of times, unfortunately, in larger organizations, especially when things get tight, training and developing people is one of the first things they cut. Right. That in marketing. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Which, of course, is really anti-productive uh, anti or unproductive. It's anti-growth uh, mentality. Exactly. As, as, as my father said, you have to spend money to make money. You know, I mean, I, you know, people have that shrinkage or what we talk a lot about, the scarcity and the abundance mindset, uh, where, you know, when economic times get challenging, um, that's a great time to grow, um, but it really takes, I think, as, as I've seen, a certain mindset. And nobody, I mean, even in, you know, if you even if you go on to be, get an MBA or earn an MBA, those types of, you know, maybe what we've talked about a little bit, soft skills, you know, are want for being taught in um, institutional academic settings. Yeah, they, they're they starting to do, I think, a little bit more of it. But yeah, you're always getting the finance and the marketing and, and, the, and 
the hard skills or the technical um, what you how I describe the what you have to do to do your job versus the how you have to do it, which is um, the soft skills. Right. So to share, share with our listeners um, the uniqueness of Intel Lead. Well, the name Intelead was actually coined by a friend of mine who's a brand marketer. Okay. You know, when she was trying to help me come up with the name of my business and we were coming up with different names and leadership, we wanted leadership in there. So that's how we got to Intelead. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, my focus is really on helping people grow and helping people develop in their careers, whether they're developing in their current role, whether they're developing it for future roles, but really trying to work with them and work with the organizations to build that skill set and build that soft skill so that, because when you have that, organizations just perform better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, which is always where I like to, to help organizations and people get to. Sure. So is there a sweet spot for you with particular industries or demographic segments? You know, I, I, I started my career in oil and gas mm. and I've been in everything in between. So I actually call myself industry agnostic okay. because I actually believe that leadership is, leadership is the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, being a good leader, being a strong leader um, works in any organization, whether it's a formal structure like the military or whether it's, you know, some organ, some other corporate organization. What is different is the culture you're doing it within. So there's some variants variations of things that work well in some organizations or some industries and not others. But because I've been in all kinds of different types of manufacturing, um, I've worked everything from that to luxury retail. I've actually started to work a lot with not-for-profits. I'm I'm across the board and I've also been with industries of all different sizes. Anything from 50-person startups to global multinational companies. Wow. So does that include, is it all in person? You know, is it in group training or coaching or, you know, how, how do you work your magic? I, I love doing it in person because I think when you're talking soft skills, I think that's where you're going to get a lot of, a lot of the magic, especially when you're talking about a group or so if it's developing training, working with a team, whatever it might be. Coaching, I think, can be done virtually. I, Zoom, you know, we were just talking before we started about all the new great advent, uh, inventions when it comes to marketing and um, business productivity. So using things like Zoom or things like that for one-on-one or small group. I think is great because it allows you to be there and be able to see people. But my passion is actually doing it in person because I think you get better, deeper conversations. You get better aha moments at times when you're right there and you're learning from each other. Absolutely. I really don't know. I mean, we do a lot of coaching and training in connection with business development, um, teaching professional services providers, how to grow a prosperous business. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think, I mean, there are tremendous tools and we, that we utilize, but I don't think that there's anything that actually can supplant the value of that in-person um, interaction and the nonverbals and the peer mentoring that inevitably takes place when you have human beings together. I, I agree. And I don't know if that's my, you know, based on, growing up in organizations where that is the only way you do it because, you know, we didn't have all this technology that allowed it to be done other ways. And 
so my bias is always for that and I and I agree because there's nothing like being there and seeing somebody else is like I'm struggling with something I don't understand this concept of what you're talking about but my peer over there does and oh my gosh now I get it mm -hmm. right and and the, and they their peers are going to be around long after you're gone in connection with just that in you know on-site visibility absolutely and when and I don't know how it is when you're doing what your magic that you do, but when I'm, let's say, facilitating a workshop with a number, with a group of leaders, most of the learning, all I'm doing is I'm facilitating conversations, maybe giving direction. Most of the learning and most of the sharing is coming from those sitting in the room. They're right. learning from each other. They're not even really learning a lot from me. I mean, they might learn a model, but how it applies and what they're doing with it they're learning that from each other and that's where the beauty of it all is. Well, and that is, that is the strength. I mean, because oftentimes I, I know in corporations and I was in my fair share of private organizations is it's, it's very insular. You know, we're all locked in an office um, to do whatever our job is. Um, and except for meetings, which can, you know, get a bad rap, I think, right, well, a bad rap and right, rightly so, because oftentimes we go into meetings that don't have agendas, that um, there is power um, and, you know, in, in a higher vibrational energy by coming together if we have a facilitator, you know, people like us, that can help move an agenda forward, um, whatever that may be. Um, and to have advancement and um, new learning um, and application um, in person rather than sitting and listening and over to a webinar or even through a, a, a video conferencing like um, Zoom or, you know, whatever the, the other programs are. I, I agree. You know, what I have realized, because I have a, um, a client of mine who's now has left corporate America and he's doing his own thing. He when I was doing a lot of work for the organization, he was really, even before a lot of organizations were, was really trying to build a lot of video training. Mm -hmm. And what I realized in, you know, working with them, and I always did the stand-up pieces because mm -hmm. that wasn't my area of expertise of doing online learning. But I realized as I tried to kind of watch some of the things that they were building and do some of the things that that's not my learning style. I do have to be in the room with to just listen to one way right that that doesn't do it for me i know it does i know it works for a lot of people but we all learn in different ways as absolutely. you know yes absolutely and so and that might be why my bias is also to be in front of and with groups versus doing it virtually well and as a facilitator um i don't think that there's a greater feeling um for facilitating literally and being in front of a, of a live audience or a group of attendees and participants and to see and read those nonverbal cues when the learning is happening and you know at the same time when you can see the question marks or the empty glazes on people's faces and you know that you need to circle back around or you need to you know you need to state a, a principle a different way in order for the learning to happen um, that is not you don't have that advantage when you're sitting at your computer screen, you know, talking to your monitor. Exactly. You know, it's funny you say that. I was with, I am actually going to be next week, there's two of us that have been brought into a not-for-profit here in Chicago to pilot their first ever leadership training. Mm. And we were 
the two of us were with the instructional designer, which is for those who don't know, that's the person who actually creates the materials and the flow of any training program you might go through. So the three of us were holed up in a room walking through everything and, you know, talking about different pieces of it and how it's going to flow. And we decided we needed to practice a few pieces of the program with some real life people. So they found a couple individuals from the organization, one who will be eventually attending the training and one who won't be because he's not in that type of a leadership role. And we both, there were different pieces and we both took a practice for each of them because we wanted to see the participants' reactions, how much time it took, whether it made sense. To see the excitement of these two individuals who were, as a lack of a better term, guinea pigs for us, in letting us practice some things and try a few things with them. They were so excited with the content mm. and in the quick little ahas they got in the one hour they spent with us was absolutely amazing. And that really, as you said, that brought our energy up about the whole thing. Of course. Because, yeah. you know, we're like, okay, we're on, we're on the right track with this. And if we can get this from you know, the majority of the participants who are going to be in the room on Tuesday, this is going to be amazing. It's really exciting. I mean, it, to me, it's extraordinarily exciting um, because, you know, to have the information flow through us of our expertise and our, um, you know, our the experience that we've gained over um, the, you know, the content, the content. The many years of our, of our experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it's just wonderful. I just love to see, you know, the impartation of my experience and wisdom come out and flow into other people. And then the light bulbs going off because they've gotten it. And then beyond, you know, intellectually um, processing it is understanding how they can apply it to the betterment of their objective, whether it's leadership, business development, whatever it is. That to me professionally, there's not many more things that are as rewarding as that. Oh, I know. And I think that's why I like being in front of a group and doing that. And then hopefully I have the opportunity to be with them on the back end to help them or see how they're applying it exactly. and, and coach them through that process. So fun. So fun. Um, and, you know, and, it, and then you can really see the, the um, output or the result of the learning and the application and how it impacts positively the organization. So it's like a little ripple, you know, a, a stone being thrown into a pond that ripples out um, and makes a, a, a de- demonstrated difference to the organization, not only the professional. Absolutely. And which is why I, I also like because of that, you know, getting into the smaller to mid-sized organizations where you can see it make a larger ripple because sometimes you're, when you're in a large organization, you've probably experienced this too. You might be in one area, one department, one function. Right. And yeah, that's great. But if you can do it so you can actually see it further throughout the organization, mm-hmm. that's even more rewarding. So absolutely. So sh- can you share with us, you know, in the context of your leadership development, um, if is, is your typical or the ideal of your profile, profile client within an organization what level of the organization is it? Is it just the C-suite or is it? Well, well it's usually the, the, it's usually the C-suite or some senior executive that's bringing me in. But as far as the work I've do, I've worked from every, I work with everything from first level managers because there's so many organizations. Mm-hmm. They're like, Oh, you're great. You're great. You're a great attorney. You now have a team. You are a great, um, 
a great salesman, so you now have a team. But nobody ever teaches them actually how to be a leader. Right. So I start everything from there. You know, where do we go? You know, what are some of those basic things you need to start thinking about? Yes, there are some people, they innately know some things, or maybe they've brought some things from a different role that they've had somewhere else. But for the most part, people are kind of blind in how they start to approach this. So I can start there going all the way up to the senior executive team. Um, a lot of times what I'll do is work with an organization to create a whole strategy. Uh-huh. So if you, if you think of the growth of somebody in, and I'm talking larger organizations here for, as an example, uh-huh. but you start with a, your first frontline supervisor, manager, whatever your title is of some sort. And so you might have a small team and then might, you might grow and have either larger P&L responsibility or a larger group of people that you're responsible for. So you need to be influencing and doing things a little bit differently. And as you go up and your, and your title changes, your span of control changes, your scope of what you're responsible ch- changes. So you need to have a different outlook and be able to do things a little bit differently. So from a practical perspective, um, that type of leadership training um, say with the mid to high level C-suite um, management, um, what could they expect to derive different, you know, what will, what will their visible benefits be to themselves professionally and or the organization as a result of working with you? Well, a lot of times when you get into those senior ranks, there's a, there might be some things that happens at the group level, but then a lot of it happens individually. Um, whether it's individual coaching or sometimes people need certain perspectives or certain things. It might be finding um, an executive development program through a university to give them a broader um, as, broader introduction to something that they need to learn about. So a lot of times as the, high, the higher you get in an organization, the more personalized the development plan becomes mm-hmm. in terms of what you're achieving and what, what you're learning and what you're achieving. So that's where I, what the strategies I tend to develop are early in your career, early in your career as a leader, you're doing things more as, you know, going to trainings, experiencing different things, maybe having 360 feedbacks or sessions and things like that. Is the higher you go, the more personalized it gets. Yes, there may be some things that we do as a um, larger organization at, at people at that level, but then it gets a little more personal based on the individual development needs that I have. Gotcha. And I, I would imagine you have um, assessments, assessment tools um, that you use when you get down to the individual level to help them uh, recognize, you know, some maybe where some areas of focus of, um, I guess, coaching need to come in. Yeah, my coaching is a little bit different. When I get into that, I actually don't use assessment tools. I actually use in um, 360 interviews. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So that because I think it brings in a different perspective, and I can dig a little bit deeper sure. than than having you know use an assessment tool. But there are different ones that can be used. You know, for individual uh, getting in, uh, individual um, insights sure. into what what's happening and what's not happening. Everything around EQ is usually at mid-level. Mm-hmm. Things around emotional intelligence are usually really good because it usually gives people a lot of insight. Yes, which is invaluable, really. I mm-hmm. mean, it's whoever learns this, right? Exactly. 
there's so many things. Um, so that brings me to another question. How do you address the soft skill development in your work? Or you know, does it play out differently with corporate clients than it does with nonprofit clients, et cetera? Because I know in my, or my experience, primarily professionally, has been um, in the corporate environment where the focus is primarily on bottom line results. So right. sometimes it can be challenging to, quote, sell the value of soft skill development. You know, it's interesting though, if you start looking at what's some of the research that's out there now, there are a lot of organizations conducting research and they're finding that when it comes to recruiters looking for, you know, who they're looking for to fill some of these roles, whether they're junior or senior, they're actually, and actually some managers, there's McKinsey reports and others, they're actually are looking at further, they're looking deeper at the soft skills. They're looking deeper at the how people are doing things because when it comes to certain technical or hard skills of a job, that can be trained much easier. Mm -hmm. yes. so, so organizations are actually recognizing that, hmm, they might not know everything about our particular industry. Maybe they're coming from a different industry or they may still need a little bit of help in certain areas or certain aspects of the job technically, but they look, you know, as they interview, they're looking for the strong team leader or the strong person who can really rebuild maybe a function or rebuild a business that, you know, has had a lot of attrition. So they're looking for those types of things very consciously. Yes. Uh, that's refreshing to hear because that's probably moved that has shifted over time as we you know just these things just when we when I started out in the 80s this was not on anybody's radar in any way shape or form and it's wonderful I guess some of the social psychologists or um, folks who study human beings in the sociology world I guess um, recognize that you know we're human beings not human doings with psyches and emotions and all those other things that no one teaches us how to um, improve and tweak and refine to bring us to what we call now peak performance oh absolutely and but when you when you think about it you know the studies about why people leave organizations i mean first of all it's a tight talent mm -hmm. pool out there right now in a, a lot of different industries. I'm sure you're, you know, the one, clients you work with, you're seeing that a lot. Yes. And all the studies show people don't necessarily leave an organization. They leave a manager or they leave the culture of the, of the environment that they're in. Yes. So that all comes back to what you were just saying. That's all has to do with the people and how they're managing people and how people are interacting and the human side of things versus focusing on the bottom line. Exactly. Um, but it's interesting. Do you see in, in your work um, generally, generationally some divides? Um, yeah, that, that would be curious to know. You know, I, I hear bits and pieces about it. I have not, it's been a while since I've actually gone in and worked with a multi-generational team it always seems to be some you know people that are closer so we don't I haven't really been with the in with the baby boomer and the millennial all in the same room you know learning about the same things mm -hmm. type of thing as much I've done that maybe more when I've done some of my outside speaking and presentations yes but 
it is interesting that I have had people ask me, you know, when they bring up an issue, they're like, do you think it's the person or do you think it's the, the generation differences? And you're going to have to dig in a little bit about that because I would guess the answer most of the time is yes, both. Yeah. Well, we, um, my firm had a client um, we were working with up in northern New Jersey near New York that is a good size organization and they have on their management team the age range spanning from 34 to 82. Oh, wow. And one of the challenges is for this organization is to come forward and recognize that there needs to be some leadership adjustments, bringing more voice to the millennials and, mm-hmm. and I guess the Gen Xers, which were after the boomers, um, and, you know, and start positioning a transition secession plan where they're training and developing the next generation of leaders um, because even the, the organization leadership has changed over once. So the 82-year-old is um, self-appointed the chairman, who used to be the managing partner, and then his underlings are all in their 60s, which is still, oh. which is still pretty senior. And those guys, which are, well, guys and very few females, have a tight hold on the direction of the firm which is causing issues of all sorts with the folks in their 40s and 30s and, of course, in their late 20s. Well, and I think you, yeah, so you have that going on, but I, I think the bigger thing with the, that I see with the difference in the generations like that mm-hmm. is what people think is the right work environment in terms of things like flexibility Right. And what does that really mean? I think there's a lot of people in, you know, the baby boomer generation that said if they hear the word flexibility, <laughs> that, mean, that means she or he doesn't want to work hard. Mm. And well, that's, that's not what it means. Thing. Right, exactly. Because we, you, as you and I were talking before we started podcasts, we worked hard. Yeah. Um, you know, and but working hard because of technology and because of different things, I think working hard looks different. Mm -hmm. So I think it's part of it is there's these trigger words sometimes Yes. between the generations. And like I said, I know flexibility is one of them. I have a lot of financial service clients, you know, so they have a lot of salespeople out there. And when somebody, when we're talking to them about women, yes, they can be really great in financial service sales, but they need flexibility. And, a lot of these male managers, some are baby boomers, some are Gen Xers, are saying, well, they, they don't want to work hard. I mean, that's the first thing that pops into their head. Yes. Well, I mean, and so that, that creates a chasm of communication and leadership mm-hmm. because stubbornly, you know, I, I think the real problem comes in, the, the real challenge is that for the older generation, they're unwilling to entertain that the workplace that they came up in, it looks very different and performs very differently than what is now generally accepted in mainstream America. 
you know, as far as having off, you know, remote working access and, you know, all of the marketing or all of the technology, iPhones, iPads, whatever, that you don't have to have all that FaceTime, that really you should focus on just the results. And they, because, I mean, what I find in my world is that um, if they don't, usually the higher, more seasoned professionals, they, if they can't identify or relate to something, a, a new concept, they marginalize and dismiss it as out of hand, but that puts a burden on the younger generations um, and impedes them from peak, their peak performance, which doesn't look like the older generation's peak performance, because the way we all function and do business and, and create and produce is it can be now we have the freedom because of the technology that can be very individualized but it all can add to the bottom line or whatever the objectives and the goals are for the organization absolutely and i mean i think that's the first thing that everybody has to be really in alignment with what is the vision of the organization what are the goals of the organization and everybody needs to know where we're going so they need to have that direction they need to be aligned with how what everybody's roles are Right. So who's doing what and they need to be aligned have the right in the same commitment to the outcomes. But the how you get there is is I think a lot where that generational like you were just saying it's that generational push and pull that's going on. And it can really I mean it, uh, this organization that I'm speaking about I would not be surprised if it doesn't make it. Oh. Yeah, because, that's. I mean, and there. I mean, it's a very. I mean, it's an over a hundred year old organization, and there's no reason. There's tremendous talent, tremendous talent, and a really great reputation and really good services, but because of the, you know, whether it's the arrogance, the fear, um, you know, whatever that is going on at that highest level, is impeding the organization to move forward to its greatest good for its clients and for its um, employees, which in some cases are partners. Um, and so um, it's heartbreaking to see because behind every individual of an organization is a family. Right. right? And so, I mean, if they're not willing to, you know, it's to, I mean, it's more than just um, the folks at the top, unfortunately. So, well, I yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I used to, you know, when I first started doing leadership training and some of the programs that I started to do, one of the early conversations was you have to, as a leader, you have to come with the attitude that people don't wake up and come and wake up in the morning and say, I want to go to work and do a bad job. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you start with that premise then it kind of is like, okay, how can we start opening up the conversations and figuring out then where we are and where we need to go and what's going on and diagnose, you know, some of those biases and things that we have. I mean, I even catch myself with, with certain biases um, that I think with technology and it be, I go back and forth with conversations with people who use, you know, these calendar scheduling things, mm -hmm. th these tools. And I haven't, started doing that yet because I don't know how I feel about it. I've, I've, in some situations, I think it's great and in others, I don't. So I'm always checking myself to say, oh, do I, how am I reacting to that person? It's, is it because they wanted me to use their, their calendar scheduling? Am I reacting differently than if they said, hey, if we went back and forth on emails? So there's all little, little things like that to the larger things like you're talking about. 
absolutely. It, it's not it's not simple issues because it's multi layered issues. Right, and you need to start. And if you don't even start having the conversation at the leadership team level, then you're right. I mean, unfortunately, you know, it could be an organization that doesn't make it. Right. And um, so I'm curious from your unique vantage point, Alexis, how do you see firms struggling to create more diverse workplaces and to create a greater sense of inclusion for the betterment of all? Well, I, um, my focus has been on, and my passion is empowering professional women. So I always start there with the conversations and I see organizations, there are organizations who are starting to have the conversations because they think that's what's in the news and that's why they have to have the conversation. So as I say, they're paying lip service to it. And then there's organizations who are really like, you know what, you are right. Women are 50% of the workforce and our industry or, and, or our company is not good at either attracting or retaining women in the business and we need to figure out how to do something about it so you know to me there's kind of right now I'm seeing the two camps the ones I want to work with are obviously B the ones who actually want to take this seriously and start having those conversations and looking at their processes and and, and um, things that are going on to are there things that they can do that can help them better bring women into the business, retain them once they're there, develop them uh -huh. into leaders. So, you know, it's a, it's a slow moving ship, I think. Um, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, there are industries that are really far behind, even though as hard as they're trying. And there's industries that are, that are doing better at it or certain companies within certain industries that are doing better at it. Right. So it, it's, it's across the board right now, I think. Yes, um, I agree, and it's it's very um, affirming to see organizations who are really um, embracing um, the challenge, and because they do indeed recognize that women are, not, you know, in in, in, um, in increased leadership and management roles, they do represent more than fifty percent of an organization generally, um, and. You know, it's, it's really shaken the organization to see, you know, we have strength here that we're not leveraging for the betterment of all. And we, you know, women, women, women must have a greater voice in that. And oh, by the way, if you look at all the studies out there, those organizations who have embraced it at the, from the mid level to the senior level to the board level, mm -hmm. their performance is better than average. Yes. Which is exciting. Yeah, and it's not just women. I mean, I always start by talking about women because that's my passion. And that's, as you and I talked about when we were first getting to know each other, you know, we grew up in those organizations where it, it was quite different, yes. for lack of a better term. Um, yes. So, so I, that's where I start my conversation. But then a lot of times it will turn into the broader diversity because it's diversity. Of, it's not just it's not just gender. It's not just sexual orientation. It's diversity of thought, right. it's diversity of experiences you're bringing. I was actually talking to a new coaching client this morning who came, he's now inside an organization, but he came from, um, you know, a um, marketing, marketing company to go inside an organization. That's, that's a very different thing, but he's going to be bringing these great perspectives into his new organization 
because he's got different experiences and from a different viewpoint from being on the agency side, but now being inside an organization. Right. Well, I mean, and I don't think, I, well, I think because, you know, we, sometimes organizations can get so steeped in tradition and they don't recognize that there is a, such a, a greater, more diverse talent pool from which to choose and not just black and white figuratively and literally and male and female figuratively, literally, you know, but we have such, you know, particularly in certain parts, urban centric parts of the United States, there's a tremendous amount of diversity just in the population um, that you can see and, and benefit from for the organization. But I think, honestly, it comes back to a marketing question of, you know, does your organization look like your clients? Right. And that, you know, even though that's been around a long time, because of the, the greater diversity of our populations in the, in the urban centers primarily, but it's growing, um, then you have more selection. Um, and, you know, organizations, mega organizations like Microsoft or Google or Salesforce, all those, you know, they are obviously on the each, each side of the coast and they, they attract international talent. Mm -hmm. Um, but the folks in the, you know, the flyover states, um, you know, maybe not as much, but, you know, if they had, if they recognized the value and the, the value proposition um, that could turn them into a mediocre performing organization to a mega performing organization, that they would be well served to look at that as well and then embrace that. Well, yeah, I mean, look at from a marketing, you know, from your, your, does your organization represent your your clients and your customers look at all the that have been in the news all the beauty industry businesses who now have their first female executives or female right. ceo president whatever it is mm -hmm. because they, these are hundred year old companies that market most all to women right right and you know they're just getting there so you're right um, so it's kind of an, it's, it's kind of entertaining to see like oh what a what a um, novel concept that you have um, cosmetic companies that are finally now being led by women which is the primary target of the organization initially um, or you know moving um, whether it's um, baby products or you know or whatever that um, mostly female oriented services and products um, that have been led by men over all these years, it's like, oh yeah, maybe we do need a woman or women um, team to actually speak from not only um, empirical research, but then from firsthand experience of what's going to capture the attention. Exactly, and I'm sure for being in marketing, you know, you you had companies that realized that pink is not a marketing strategy. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They. Yeah. We. Uh, in fact, I'm so repelled by pink. I, that, 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 that would push me out, honestly, because um, it's been so overdone for all these years. Exactly. Isn't that funny? Um, so let me ask you, Alexis, um, if you could give your younger self one piece of professional advice, what would that be? Ooh, what a great question, Kimberly. <laughs> I love that question. Um, I think it would be speak up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started my career in the mid 80s, you know, I and I think you and I had had the original conversation about, you know, what we wore. Yeah, you, know, you know, even in the 90 degree, 100 degree days, you wore pantyhose, you wore heels, you wore suits, you wore, um, you wore 
blouses that looked like you had bow ties and things like that. So it was a different time that we grew up in different and, and speaking up probably would not have worked well from a career standpoint. Mm -hmm. But I think even when I got into the positions and was, was as things loosened up in terms of, you know, how you dressed and how you, you know, came to work and, and days off and things like that. I still don't think I spoke up enough. I don't think I spoke up enough when um, I saw things that I didn't think were right. So I think that would have been my, my, um, my younger self mm. advice. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I completely agree. Um, I was one that did speak up. <laughs> it got me in a lot of trouble. It would get me in a lot of trouble. I mean, I, in college, I studied communication studies. That literally was a, um, um, that was a job title. And um, I um, spoke up as respectfully and, I don't know, um, honoring, you know, the, my superiors. Um, but I spoke up and I paid the price oftentimes of being um, chi um, chided by a male supervisor. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I, th I think I was actually terminated. Um, that was a culmination of speaking up when I saw something not happening that I didn't, well, thought, when I saw something happening that I didn't think kind of was copacetic in the organization. Um, and so there's some, sometimes there's a price to pay for speaking up. Absolutely. I mean, the last time, the one, when I spoke up my last in, um, internal role in an organization that was eliminated, which is where I ended up, which was the best thing because that's how I ended up in consulting. Um, but I, that job was eliminated because I spoke up. So yeah. I'm right, right with you. But that. That, that's the price you pay. So it's like, you know, I mean, I mean, we both probably have seen or experienced in organizations um, that, you know, that sometimes the speaking up or saying something or disagreeing with management as, as there can be a real price to pay, not only because they may or not appreciate it, but it, there is gender issues involved, I'm convinced, um, as that. I mean, whether or not I was in a position, I was in a C-suite position this one particular time, but another time I was not. But it's like, so, you know, how does that form an individual when they are given negative feedback or suffer negative consequences because they are holding true to their integrity? Right. I think the good news is on all of that, Kimberly, is that it's a little, I mean, this happened to me, it was 15, 16 years ago. So I think as things are starting to evolve, and again, it's still a slow moving ship. Yeah. But I think, and I think you said something early on, which was you, we first started talking about this piece, is doing it respectfully. Uh -huh. I do think it's a little bit more taken in and, and, for lack of a better term, palatable for those who don't always want to hear it. Right. And it's becoming a little more commonplace, which I think is the good news. That is good news. I mean, there's a little bit more freedom um, of sharing thoughts, even if they may be disparate, um, you know, contradictory thoughts that everyone should have a voice. Right. So, I mean, I, and I just think it's, it's knowing, and, and you know what, I've talked to a lot of, as I've been doing speaking with some women's groups and people come up to me afterwards and ask me about certain things about, I talk a lot about brand, personal branding, standing out. 
and with them and they'll say, well, you know, I don't know if I can do some, you know, this particular tip you gave. I don't know if I can do that in my organization. And I was like, okay, then don't do that one. But I gave you, you know, six others, which ones can you do? So you just, you know, you do have to be conscious of your corporate culture or your company culture, but when you can and where you feel passionate about it, I would still err, always err on the side of doing it now. Right. So um, I want to be sensitive to our listeners, and I know that they uh, uh, love to jump in sometimes and hear pieces of our podcast with our interesting discussions with our discipline experts. Um, and so with that in mind, Alexis, I want to make sure that I give our listeners the best way to connect with you. Um, after our podcast and if there's organizations that need and are interested to explore leadership or other training and development with you, I certainly want to make it easy for them to do that. Oh, thank you very much. Um, well, you can always find me on LinkedIn and message me that way. It's um, Alexis Gladstone. And then my company website is intelead.com, which is I-N-T-E-L-E-A-D dot com and you'll see I've got posted some of the uh, media things I've done um, starting to blog not as not as much as I should be uh, th those are two, the best two ways to find me and get in touch with me wonderful well thank you so much Alexis for joining us today and thank you listeners for another joining in on another episode of the secret sauce marketing tastings where we are so excited and delighted to have uh, welcomed Alexis Gladstone with us today to talk and, and rumble over the um, leadership development in today's corporate work environment. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. This was great. All righty. Take care and have a happy weekend. You too. Mm -hmm.